Welcome to the Innovate for Impact podcast. This podcast is for leaders in the social sector like you who want to make a difference. Each episode is packed with practical ideas on how you can be more innovative and create an even bigger social impact. We share our ideas on what you can do and also speak to leaders from the sector to share best practice. So let's get into it and let's talk impact. Welcome to the Innovate for Impact podcast. As always, you've got Tracy Newman and recording with my good friend Dan Bentley. And I'd like to start off by acknowledging that I record here in Adelaide and would like to acknowledge the Ghana as the custodians of the Adelaide Plains and pay my respects to elders past, present and emerging. Yeah, and I'm on the inner west side of Melbourne, uh, so I'm on the lands of the Bunurong people of the Kulin Nations, and I'd like to pay my respects to their elders past, present and emerging. Great. So, Dan, uh, what are we talking about today? Trace, we're going to talk about a hot topic at the moment. It is something that is being debated on uh, LinkedIn. It's been debated in training. It's been debated in organizations. And that question is, is it better to co-design or not if it's not perfect? And there's many different formations of this question, and we're going to go through a few of those today. But it's something that we've, like I said before, heard a lot and it's a little bit, yeah, there's a lot of different people who have different opinions on it and we're going to chuck our opinions into the ring today on this podcast episode. Absolutely. Yeah, I get lots and lots of questions uh, along these lines when I'm doing the co-design training and co-design coaching. And I think I agree, it's certainly a hot topic. So, really looking forward to this conversation. So, okay. So, yeah, let's get stuck in. So, first question, is it better to co-design if it's not perfect? Yeah. And I think my answer on this one is yes, it is. And obviously, there are some situations where it's not, and we'll go through those a little bit later. But generally speaking, yes, it is better to co-design if it's not perfect. And the reason why is because otherwise, you're just actually maintaining the status quo and you're doing what we've been doing for years now. And the same thing that stopped us from having these most important voices included in decision-making And whilst we obviously want to aim to do that at a good standard, not including these voices at all is far worse than not doing it perfectly. Yeah, it's like that saying, don't let perfect be the enemy of the good. It's a process. As we get better at it, we do it better. But absolutely, I'm with you 100%, Dan. Let's just put a green tick in that box. It is better to co-design if it's not perfect because having your opinions included and having an opportunity to participate, even if it's not perfect, is always better than the alternative. Yeah, and if if you're advocating for people to not do it unless it is perfect, like I said earlier, you're sort of maintaining that status quo around, all right, well, let's just keep on making decisions on people, other people's behalf and, you know, we're not going to solve these social issues and these challenges that we have in front of us if we continue to work in that way. So, it's good to give it a crack. It's good to learn and it's good to you know improve and, and get these people involved even if it's not up to somebody else's standard. And I I think that's probably uh, the bee that I have in my bonnet about this is that I'm seeing people call other people out on this saying, oh, that's not co-design because you only had X amount of people involved and and that's not co-design because you didn't do it the way that I like to do it. And it's sort of almost we've got some co-design cops out there at the moment kind of telling everybody how they should do it when it's actually just how they think you should do it. So, you know, 
it probably flows really well into the next question, Trace. And if, if you, unless you were going to say something there, I might ask you it. Is there an agreed definition on co-design on that point? Yeah, I'm with you, Dan. I was thinking that's a great segue into the next question. Is there an agreed definition on co-design? No, there isn't. There is, however, certainly lots of definitions on co-design and and we have, I guess, our definition on co-design, which I think, call me biased, but I think it's it's really helpful and concise. So when we consider how we refer to the difference is when we're thinking about human-centred design, we call that uh, we're designing with input from the people who are going to be using that, you know, service or product. However, when we consider co-design, it's actually where we're designing with the people that are intended to be using that service or product. And so I think it's a, a small but significant difference. It is, absolutely. And that's the co-part in co-design, that it is all about doing that together, uh, not that somebody owns the process or has a greater say than somebody else in that it is that we are co-producing, co-creating the solution together. And I agree, Trace. I think we might both be biased, but I think you know that is a simple way to put it. And I think that also gives people enough room to take you know their own interpretation and apply that to their own uh, organization and cohorts that they work with, et cetera, to make that work. Absolutely. Yes. I think sometimes it's really helpful for an organization when they're starting down this journey is actually to to consider, well, what exactly does co-design look like for us? What does it mean? And come up with their own agreed definition that, that really uh, suits that organization and works in line with what they're out to achieve. So again, our, our next question is, you know, also kind of a, a good segue there is, do you have to follow the whole process? So is there a, a series of steps and it's only co-design if you follow every single step to the letter or is there another way to view co-design? Yeah. The answer for me there is is no, you don't. And But I think in a perfect world, you'd like to have people involved in that entire co-design process. I think that's what you're sort of aiming for. But um, here's the news flash. None of us actually live in a perfect world. And in this sector, we can quite often have a lot of constraints and some of those are around resourcing and time. And sometimes we get approached by people that we work with and they might already have started a project or they've inherited some sort of a project or a service and they it's already somewhat down the line and they sort of say, well, could we bring people in at this stage to get their opinion? And, and our answer in most cases is absolutely yes. And you know, yes, get them involved, do it in a way that's really meaningful and look at how you can involve them in that because that's just a reality of what happens. Very rarely do we just get a clean slate and a full remit to do whatever we want to do. So again, you're probably just going to be maintaining the status quo of making decisions on people's behalf if you don't allow yourself to use elements of a co-design process in creating anything as well as you know running an entire end-to-end co-design process. Are you looking for innovative ways for your organisation to deliver more impact? Take our online assessment and receive a customised report in your inbox that highlights exactly what to do next. It takes only five minutes to fill out and it's completely free. Visit impactoconsulting.com.au slash self-assessment. I mean, look, there is definitely the ideal process and then there's the real world reality process. And whilst uh, there's a fine line for me in that one in terms of intent, you know, if you're 
looking at it as a process and you're starting off by including people as much as you can and and your goal is to sort of transition towards that entire process, absolutely. You know, you start where you are, you start with what you've got and you build from there. So I agree with you there, Dan. My opinion is exactly the same as yours. Uh, Yes. Yeah, I think a good example of where we've seen this in real life is sort of starting at prototyping. So getting you know all the right people in the room that kind of understand the problem, getting them to sort of start at prototyping and say, look, we all live this problem. What would you like to see? And get them to start there. So you could, as a purist, I guess, and being a co-design cop, you could look at that and go, oh, hang on a minute. What about all those other steps before that? But sometimes that does make sense to do that. But in some cases, it would absolutely not make sense to do that. Just, you know, obviously put that caveat in there too but it's situational and sometimes you could do that and that wouldn't be in my opinion anyways detrimental I think it's still a good step to take to have people involved at at that level yeah agreed so on to our next question can you only co-design if you're a fully experienced co-design practitioner yeah I think you get this question a lot yeah Oh, absolutely. I get this question all the time because I do a lot of co-design training and people are really interested in, well, where can I start? What do I need to do? And, you know, at what point can I call it co-design? And I'm like, well, it's co-design when you're designing with people. And absolutely, no one's an expert when they start out, but that doesn't mean that you're not co-designing that just means that you're continually working on you know getting better at co-design but there's not a certain point that says now you're allowed because how do you learn how does anybody learn how do how do you get good at something you actually get good at it through doing it and through having those conversations and actually really meaningfully engaging people and participating in those conversations and being present. And of course, you can only do what you're capable of. And I would absolutely suggest that, you know, taking on board somebody else and, and getting that that experience alongside an experienced practitioner, I would absolutely say that's a great idea, but there's not a certain qualification that you need to be able to co-design effectively. Yeah, well said. I've got nothing to add to that except for the next question, which is, what if you can't get the most vulnerable people involved? Is it still co-design? Yeah, I think this is a little bit like our first question of, is it better to co-design if it's not perfect? Because you will get better at reaching people who aren't currently involved with your organisation and you will get better at reaching some of those more vulnerable people and what you want to do is you want to build your co-design muscles so that when those people come to your table, you're already experienced at co-designing with people. So absolutely, it is co-design and what you need to do is, you know, start where you are and build your practice and build your connections and build your ability to be able to encourage the right people or the more vulnerable people or a broader range of people to come and co-design with you. Got nothing else to add to that, Trace. Well said. Great. Okay. So I'm going to ask the last question because I I know that you'll have a lot to share on this. Are there times that you shouldn't co-design? Yeah, there are. Absolutely. And I think the big one for me is when your intent is really not to co-design 
but you're going to co-design because it's ticking a box because someone said that it's what they should be doing, but it's not something that you're actually genuinely doing or you've already got a predetermined idea in your head and you're just sort of going through the motions to reverse sort of engineer that with these people, making sure that they get to that outcome. I think if you truly don't have the intention of sharing that decision-making with people, then to please, please don't waste their time because that's probably one of the uh, worst things that we can do. So I think for me, that's the big one around this is to make sure that we're genuine and we are actually going to share decision-making and to do this with these people, not you know with input from or just bringing them along, but not actually valuing their insights. Yeah, I agree. For me, it's all about intent and it's all about that putting in place that genuine sharing of decision-making and power. If that's something that you're prepared for, then I think, you know, going back, is it better to co-design if it's not perfect? Absolutely. But it's never a good idea just to simply waste people's time if if you're not genuine about what it is that you're out to do. So, you know, we've laid it on the line today. We've uh, shared some of our opinions. I think the general consensus is it's important to be pragmatic. It's important to build your craft. It's important to find ways to include people meaningfully. But of course, you know, don't just tick boxes. Don't just say you're doing something without genuine intent to include people in a way that's meaningful. Yeah. And I think the thing that I'll just add on top of that to sort of close it out is that the sector and the world is on a journey here with power sharing and collaborating and all different individuals, organisations, sectors within the social sector are all at different levels of capability and understanding and buy-in. And what we need to understand as we navigate this change to moving away from making most decisions on people's behalf to truly empowering communities and having them involved is that it's a change process and it's a learning experience for people. And so we want to be encouraging this change. And so I think having an open-minded view and being encouraging is a lot more helpful to make that change than it is to have a perfectionistic view and to be telling people and, and sort of nitpicking at what good looks like and what good doesn't look like. I think it's, um, like I said, a journey that we're all on together. Let's support each other. It's why we do things like these podcast episodes because we're really passionate about that and we really want to see that change come through. So we're hoping, yeah, these sorts of uh, things that we spoke about that Tracy just sort of mentioned can help some of you sort of realize and go, look, if there is somebody that's sort of talking about this to you, that just keep pushing through. Realize that even though you might be a new practitioner or an experienced one, we can always get better and we all learn from our mistakes and that's how we end up doing a really good job once we uh, understand and learn what we need to do. So that's my two cents at the end. Thanks, Trace. Been a pleasure. Excellent. Thanks so much. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Innovate for Impact podcast. Any links to what we spoke about today will be posted in the show notes. If you'd like to know more about social innovation, visit our website where we have a heap of tools to help you on your way. Visit impactoconsulting.com.au. Thanks for listening. Now go out there and make an impact.